Thank you, kiddos, for leading us this morning, and thank you, Scott and Tiffany, for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24. Before we get started this morning, we want to pray together and uh, pray for another church in our area. Uh, we're going to pray for Bull Creek Cowboy Church. Mike Moss is their pastor and um, several connections and friends that are there. And Some of you know some folks that are worshiping there this morning, and so we're going to lift them up and then ask God to uh, speak clearly to us during this time as we uh, open His Word together. If you would pray with me for... Father, we um, humble ourselves before you this morning asking and lifting up another church in our area, Bull Creek Cowboy Church, and Mike Moss as the pastor there, that you would speak clearly through him. I appreciate Mike's heart, his ministry, his work. I appreciate sound doctrine and having a like-minded uh, brother preaching the gospel in our area, and we pray and we champion them and what they're doing in your work. And um, just pray that you'd speak clearly to them, that you would continue to build anticipation in them to celebrate the inauguration of your first coming and celebrate it rightly this season, and that you would continue to do that in us, and that you would also keep them anticipating appropriately your second coming. And that you would teach us to do that this morning as well. We're thankful for this time together. Thankful for the kiddos that you've blessed us with here in this church. The heritage that you've given us, the reward. I pray that you'd keep us faithful with making disciples right here in front of us. And we're thankful for the ways you've blessed us. And we are a grateful people this morning. And we ask you again to speak clearly this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is our second... Advent sermon. Uh, last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 25 and uh, we looked at appropriate anticipation. Isaiah living in a time of God's people being humbled and brought low and God's judgment being poured out. We talked about how Isaiah's faith must have been lonely to have this knowledge and these visions of the truth and what's coming and what's real and what's true and very few people listening or even caring about the truth, caring about God, caring about what God was up to and how lonely that must be for him, must have been for him. And then for him to all of a sudden look forward to something, a banquet where his God would come as a good king, where he would have a banqueting table and celebrate his victory as king and he would invite all the subjects in to eat with him. And not just to eat with him, but to eat the best food with him. This provision of this banquet and celebrate. And then he would, he would uncover the nations and he would be made known, not just to the Jews, but that the nations would know him. He would uncover the eyes of the hearts of the nations. And then the most important thing is that he would come and take care of his people's worst problem, their primary problem. And that's the death, the curse of death, the punishment for sin. He would eliminate death. Because if he doesn't do that, then really all he's done is thrown a big party. And he's good at that. Or he's just generous. But he does, he's not just those things. He takes care of our worst problem. And then he eliminates death. And then Isaiah 25.9 says, I waited for you and you came. I waited, he says it again, I waited and you came. And so we use that phrase all the time, I can't wait. Uh, you, you, have, you can wait and you will wait, but what you're saying is, I don't want to. You're longing for something to come. And that's what Isaiah is saying, I can't wait for this king to show up on scene, in person, in the flesh, and usher in. And then we, we looked at that banquet in Matthew 22 where this is the banquet that Jesus has ushered in. As he came in that manger, he came to this earth in the flesh, taking care of our worst problem in his life, death, and resurrection. 
And so we enjoy a banqueting table in this age. And so we find ourselves in an age that's very different from Isaiah. A new kingdom is being built via Christ's work, enjoying a fine banquet with our king. And remember what he says in Matthew 22, that he invites all that you can find to the banquet. The banquet's open right now in this age. There's an invitation, there's a welcome for the nations, for all, anyone you can find to come. He's available in this age. God did what he said he would do. So now what? What's next? What are you going to do, Jesus? What, what do we do now? And in the earlier parts of Matthew 24, we're going to look at this parable of, of day and the hour and the wicked and faithful servant in just a second. But in the first part of 24, the disciples are looking at the temple saying, Jesus, isn't that pretty? Look at the stones. Look at the pillars. Look at how it's painted. Look at the gold. You know, they're kind of wanting Jesus to be impressed and assuming that he would be very impressed with this temple, probably assuming maybe he's going to put his throne in there and that this new kingdom was going to be established right there in front of them. And Jesus, I love the quick response. He just says, yeah, I'm going to destroy that. I'm, that's not what this is about. My kingdom won't be in that temple. It'll be an invisible kingdom in the hearts of men, in the temple of the hearts of men. And so they're left with, they're asking good questions. When is it going to happen? When are you coming back? What can we expect? And behind those questions is a very good question of, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? This, this age where the banquet's open, what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? How are we supposed to anticipate this rightly? How are we supposed to look forward to your second coming? What are we supposed to do and how do we anticipate it rightly? Jesus clarifies for them that the temple's not where he will establish his kingdom. He will come back though. He will appear and the nations will see it and his elect will be gathered. So we're going to look, our text this morning is going to be 36 through 51. 24, 36 through 50, 51, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to throw you a curveball. I want to set that up. This, what he's saying here in 3651, this warning that he gives us, this clarity that he gives us on how to anticipate what he is supposed to be doing in this age. I want to set that up with 2 Thessalonians 3. So leave your finger in Matthew 24 and turn to 2 Thessalonians 3. Jesus has given some pretty strong warning in this passage in Matthew, but you know, as you're anticipating something, especially in terms of Jesus coming back, in the sky, and creating a new heavens and new earth. When you anticipate something fantastic like that, and something longed for and pined for, there's two things that can happen. In the waiting, and I'm sure Isaiah would identify with this, there's two things that can happen to us while we wait. While we look forward to His second coming. And number one is, you could get lazy, Right? Well, he's not, he's not here. I mean, they've been talking about it for hundreds of years, and he's still not here, thousands of years. He's still not here. I mean, I, people talk about him coming all the time, and people guess, and they say they think it's going to be this year or that year, and he's still not here, and I'm still, I still have my same problems, and life is still hard, and so you can become lazy and selfish and just say, hey, you know what? I'll just take my mortgage for the year and get me a new boat. That's lazy, right? That's not wise. That's selfish, because I'll just take my mortgage for the year, get me a new boat, and then I'll just pray really hard that he comes back before I have to pay that bill. You know, Run the credit card up, right? Or we can become hopeless. We can become lazy and selfish, or we can become hopeless in our waiting. Man, he just, we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm getting a little impatient, and I'm getting a little hopeless that maybe he's not going to come back. Or I can't endure. I can't wait any longer. I really wish he would come back. And so in order to keep us from being hopeless and in order to keep us from being lazy, 2 Thessalonians helps us. And I want you to see this morning, hopefully I'll connect the work of the faithful servant with your work. I mean like your job. And I'll show you 
what I mean here in just a minute. In 2 Thessalonians 3, there's people in this church who have a selfish view of his second coming. They're thinking, well, he said he's coming back, so if he's coming back, I don't need to work, right? The church will take care of me. We're all sharing meals and stuff, and um, you know, some people have jobs, but I'll just kind of mooch off the church until he comes back. Why would I want to put my hand to anything if he's coming back? He said he was coming back soon, so I'm going to bank on the word soon, and I'm just not going to do anything. This is what it says in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right. We could have asked you to support us in this preaching ministry, but we didn't. It's not that we didn't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and get this, earn their own living. Now, you may be sitting there going, are you about to have a sermon on work and money, or is this an Advent sermon? And my answer would be, yes, this is an Advent sermon. Looking forward to his coming. But what I hope you see is that the, what I'm going to call the lowercase w work fits into a capital W work, and they fit together, and your work, whether that's in the household, you moms that are raising kiddos and keeping the house and keeping the home and ministering through your church, that work, and dads that are earning a living or moms that are helping earn a living or whatever, that work fits into a greater work, a capital W work that we'll see here in a minute. I get this, I have this conversation frequently have for years and still do, with people who come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking about changing jobs or I'm thinking about getting a job where I can be in ministry or I, I want to be in full-time ministry. I want to leave this work so that I can be a part of full-time ministry. Now, I am not saying that that is not a call, that people are not called out of the workplace into full-time ministry. That, that does happen, and there's some validity to that. But in these conversations that I have sometimes, I, it's typically followed up with, my job is just not really meaningful. I'm, my job doesn't really make a difference in the kingdom. And what I want to say to them is, your kids and your wife, they're probably very grateful you have that job, eating your food and sleeping in your home. That's making a difference. And it's making a difference because you're raising up the church in your home. Your work fits inside of the work. And your work is meaningful and has purpose in so much as it's connected to the capital W work. Did you hear that? Your vocation, your work is meaningful and has perfect purpose in as much as it's connected to the work. Your job earning a living is not just so that you can survive. Your job, your earning a living, how your household makes money, is not just about compiling security, compiling things. Your job, your earning a living, your work, is not your identity. It's not your identity. Your work is a gift from the Lord because it is connected to the work. You with me? Getting some funny looks. All right, hang in there with me. There is this other work, this capital W work that Jesus presents in this parable. Back to Matthew 24, 
Verse 36, there is this work, capital W work, that Jesus presents that goes hand in hand with the appropriate work of our hands that keeps us anticipating His coming appropriately. It keeps us from being lazy and it keeps us from being hopeless when we work as unto the Lord and we see it's connected to the work, the capital W work, the work of Him establishing His kingdom and His work of returning to establish a new heavens and a new earth. Now, let's look at this passage. Now we're getting there. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour of His return, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But you know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, but he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. All right, the first thing that we learn, I've got three points, three sections that we're going to take out of this interaction with Jesus and his disciples. Number one is anticipation is not about knowing exactly when he's coming. Appropriate anticipation is not about knowing exactly when he's coming. Jesus tries to completely take the guessing game out for his people. He's trying to completely take the guessing game out. Even the son doesn't know. And he says that only the father knows. And that probably means that most people believe that as Jesus was standing there on earth, he didn't know. No one knows. Take the guessing game out of their head. Guessing and predicting when he's coming, even though we've been given signs to look for, is not fruitful. And it's not fruitful because Jesus said, don't go there. Don't do that. Guessing and predicting and wanting to know the day and the time distracts you. It distracts me from lowercase work, W work, and the capital W work. Guessing and trying to figure out when he's coming, trying to get the day, get the year, all that does is it distracts you from your vocation, and it distracts you from your daily routine, and it distracts you from your daily pursuits, and it distracts you from His work, capital W work. Secondly, verse 37, he says, not knowing should keep you awake and aware. Don't get caught unaware. Don't, get, don't forget who God is. Don't forget that He is coming. Be mindful Don't forget what he's doing and don't forget how he's instructed you. Like the folks in the days of Noah. Turn quickly to Genesis chapter 6. These two verses in Genesis chapter 6, I want you to see this. When he says these folks in the days of Noah, what does he mean by that? Look at what he says that angers him so much. The reason why he brought the flood. Genesis 6, verse 5 and 6.
And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It's this phrase in here about these men in the days of Noah. These folks were wicked, and every intention of the thoughts of their heart was evil. These people in the days of Noah, only thing they were concerned about were their own daily pursuits. He goes on to say that they were you know, giving in marriage, eating and drinking all they want. You just do what you want to do. You just focus on what makes you happy. The intentions of your heart, that's the only thing you need to pay attention to. And they were continually evil. Totally, totally inconsequential. It's what God wants, who God is, or what he thinks, or what he's doing. Stay awake. Genesis 6, these folks, man, they're only concerned with their daily pursuits, with their income, with their desires, with their dreams, with their hopes, and with their possessions. And then he says in 42, Stay awake, for you do not know what day the Lord is coming. You know how you get to sleep? You know how you get ignorant of his coming? You, want, you know how to not be ready? Only focus on your pursuits and only focus on them and don't see them as, as being connected to anything bigger. Just, it's just my job or it's, it's who I am. My job is who I am. That's my identity. Or I, I made a lot of money or I can make more money or I need to make more money. If that's the focus and it's not connected to anything else bigger than that, we're just like the people in the days of Noah, only focused on our pursuits. We know from 2 Thessalonians, though, that we're to have daily pursuits, right? We're to have a job. We're to earn a living. But Jesus is about to connect it for us, your daily pursuits within his work. It's what keeps us ready and aware, and it's what keeps us connected. And then finally, This faithful and wise servant. Let's read that again. Look there. Verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, his work. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Faithful servant keeps working, keeps tending, and keeps feeding those who the master left in his care. He doesn't know when the master will come back, but he wants to keep working Because when the master comes back, he wants the master's work and mission to keep going and be going. He's invested and he's got ownership in the master's work. The master's mission and work is paramount to him. His life, his desires, his dreams, his resources, his time, who he is, how much money he has, is for the master's work, ultimately. And he gives himself to it fully. He's ready. He's aware. He's appropriately anticipating the master's return. Do you see it? He's appropriately anticipating the master's return by knowing that everything he has, all of his resources are there for a greater purpose, and that's the master's work. But the wicked servant, ah, master's delayed. He's been gone a long time, right? He's not going to come back anytime soon. People keep saying that he is. People keep guessing and predicting that he is, but they're never right. Just Man, just keep doing whatever you want to do. Don't worry about the master's return. He's not coming back, and if he is, it's probably not going to be in your lifetime. So, man, just live it for you. Live life for you. You do what makes you happy. And you can just take advantage of people if you want to. Who cares? He's not coming back. You get yours. You get what you deserve. You keep what you deserve. He ain't come back. Not mindful at all of the master's return. Get drunk. Eat all you want. Discipline has no place in this wicked servant's heart and life. He sees everything that he has is for him. All of his resources are for him. There's nothing greater connected to what he's doing And what he has. 
What about the money you make? What about the money I make? What's it for? Nothing about this wicked servant. There's nothing about him. The master's return for him is completely inconsequential to how much money he makes. The master's return is completely inconsequential to how much money he saves. The master's return is completely inconsequential to how he lives his life. How he works, not just where he works. It's completely inconsequential to him. It's just money and it's mine. I can do what I want to with it. He's not at work. He's not at the master's work. His daily pursuits are only for himself. When the master shows up, this wicked servant who thinks everything's for him and is not connected to the master's work finds himself, just like the people in the days of Noah, outside of his covenant, outside of his promises, and outside of his blessings with the hypocrites. Which means death. Outside of his covenant, remember what we learned last week in Isaiah 25? Inside the banquet, death has been, death is dead. <laughs> outside the banquet, outside the covenant, death reigns. What about your daily pursuits? What about mine? Is there something bigger? Is there, is there something bigger for you? For your income, for your living that you earn, for your home, your hopes? Your dreams, your budget, for those of us that have budgets. <laughs> is there something bigger? Do you have a job and make money and have a budget and have resources and have time and giftings? Do you have them for any other reason than just to build up your self-esteem? There's something bigger where your work, your daily pursuits connect to a greater work. That's how we anticipate appropriately his second coming, is to be found faithful in our work and the work. There's something bigger. Again, you may be saying, is this an Advent sermon or is this a sermon on money? And it is both. So what is the work? Okay, You may be sitting there saying, okay, you keep talking about this work that he's left us with. What is the work? Isaiah 25 gave us a clue last week when he says, he makes a banquet for all peoples. In verse 6, he makes a banquet and it's for all peoples. There's one clue. Another clue is the, the wedding banquet that we read about in Matthew 22 last week. What did he say to the servants? These people can't come. So we need some people at the banquet. So you go out into the streets and do what? Bring everyone you can find. What's the work? The banquet's for all people. It's open. Go find everyone you can. Remember Matthew 28? What did Jesus say to the disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Calling the world to repent from that Isaiah 5 condition of being put down and put out to come up and be with the King and enjoy His salvation for His great name, for His great kingdom. That's the work. Proclaiming to the nations. Turn to Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 6. I want you to see this again. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Real quick, that's not a, um, that's not a choice. That's not option, right? This isn't a multiple choice test. He said, you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. That is your work. You will witness and testify to Jesus where you're planted and to the ends of the earth. You'll do both. This isn't hometown, state, nation, you know, world. He's not giving them the option. He's saying you will be, you will be a part of a work that goes to the nations. Verse 9. And when he said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was just taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These two men in white robes are saying, What are you guys staring at? Get to work. You just got your instructions. He's going to come back just like he left in the sky. And what did he tell you to do? Testify to him among all peoples. Testify to him among all nations. This work, another way to say this that might help you, this work that Jesus is talking about in the parable, the work that he's talking about in Acts, the work that he, the instructions he gives us in Matthew 28, that's the work of the church. It's the work of the church. He's given it to the church to proclaim his fame and his glory among all peoples and among all nations. Continually receiving, we receive and we proclaim the gospel. We come each week and we hear it and we receive it and we're reminded again and then we proclaim it. And we live it and we testify to the good news that Jesus has overcome death through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the work. Receive it and proclaim it to all peoples. It's a daunting task. Now, the one key here, though, is to understand what the master's target is. Hopefully you've picked up on the theme here in the work, and the theme is all peoples. If I were to ask you to quote Psalm 46.10. Some of you would know it. But if I gave you a clue and said, okay, be still and, y'all would say, know that I'm God. You'd know it then. But did you know that's not all of that verse? He says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be made known in all the earth. That's his goal. That's his target. That's his promise. I will be made known among all peoples, all nations. Psalm 96.3, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. God's target, his target in this work, his target in this mission is the world. He is as burdened this morning for China. He is as burdened for, get this, the people of Syria, he is as burdened to be known among the peoples of North Africa. He is as burdened for them this morning as he is burdened for us in Hunt County. It's both and. He said in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses both here and there. You will give your resources, your daily pursuits. Listen, your daily pursuits are not about your survival. You're earning a living not so that you can just survive. Not just so that you can build something. Not just so that you can enjoy life. Not just for your identity. You have daily pursuits. You earn a living. You have the grace and gift of God known as jobs so that you can connect to making His name great all over the world. That's purpose. That is real purpose. It's really 
the only purpose. It's really the only meaning. Is that everything he's given you in your daily pursuits is connected to making his name great among all peoples. Turn to Matthew 24, 11. Just turn back a page there. Let's read that. Listen to what Jesus says. And this is where it connects again with Advent, his coming. Because this faithful working and plotting that we do in our daily pursuits, when connected to his mission and his work, when your work is connected to the church's work, this is what happens. This is what will happen. Matthew 24, 11. And he's telling the disciples about the signs and to be careful and be aware and be ready. And he says this, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Do you see it? You keep working. And you connect that work to proclaiming and receiving the gospel among all peoples. And when it's proclaimed among all peoples, then I'm coming. That's when I'll come. So do you, do you, I hope you feel the anticipation of that because of plotting and working faithfully to not be a burden on the church, to make money so that you can provide. I mean, let's just talk real frankly, okay? Keeping the lights on costs money, Right? We, starting churches cost money. Uh, there, there are ways that you are invested in this work because you give. We have, we've started two churches that costs a lot of money. And we cooperated together to invest in his work. We couldn't do that if none of us had jobs, right? It's beautiful design that he gives us something to pursue daily and be faithful with. And then he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to use that to be a part of my work. Who you are, your time, your resources, your giftings, you're going to bring all of it. And the reason is not so that you'll feel good about yourself. The reason is so that I will be made known among all peoples. This is how we stay awake. This is how you stay ready. And this is how you appropriately anticipate his second coming. Keep working. Keep working. Now, if we don't have this perspective that he is after his glory and we begin to think that, well, I'm going to be a part of his work because I want to scoreboard everybody else at the banquet. Right? Hey, look look how many I got in here, man. Yeah, we don't scoreboard. That's not what it's about. But that's what it will become if what drives you in your work and what drives you to give yourself and your money and your resources to his work, man, that... If it's not for his fame and his glory alone, it'll become about you immediately. Be scoreboarding each other. Look how much I gave. Here's the other cool thing. How much money you make doesn't make you worth more at the banquet. Just because you make more money doesn't make you worth more at this banquet. But work. Don't be a burden to the church. Use yourself, your time, your gifts, and your resources for his work. And that's what makes your life and your daily pursuits meaningful for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Has your target become his target? Is it the nations? I mean, is that, is that our prayer this morning? That I hope? I mean, is that burdening us at all? It's very easy for us as Americans for that not to be a burden for us. We kind of, in a state right now, and the atmosphere that we live in is that we're really wanting to, we're just really concerned about us, right? That's our main concern. We've got to stay safe here. And not, God wants them to know him. And that is what makes martyrs. And I'm not just trying to scare you, but people don't endure unless they're attached to the greater work in his great name. If, if your burden for the nations is about scoreboarding everybody else at the banquet, you won't endure. 
If your work is just for you, and you just kind of occasionally ascribe to the church a little bit here, a little bit there, man, I don't know how you're going to endure. Because he says, those that endure to the end will be saved. I don't know how you endure if your purpose and meaning is all about you and how you feel about yourself. But if it's connected to his great name, man, that's, that will make a martyr. That will keep you going when it gets weary. I'd say it's an impossibility to be able to stay awake, stay alert, and be ready for his next coming without the church. I don't know how anyone would be ready, would be awake, would be aware, would remember what's really going on, that he's at work, that he has a great jealousy for his name. How do you remember that when you're not at church and you're not in the church? It's impossible. Think about it this way. How do you stay ready, awake, and anticipate appropriately if you don't come to the banquet table? Right? Without the church, how can you be ready? Without this table, you're, you're not at the table, you're not in the banquet, right? I, ben and Scott have said it before, but I said several years ago, I was telling them, uh, I say it all the time, the only hour in my week, right, that after all the pursuits of my life, making money, uh, just trying to support my family, fixing stuff that breaks every day, just all of that can get so mind-numbing, and you can hear so many things that aren't true. But this is the only hour in my week that really makes any sense. When I'm back at the banquet table, when I'm back with the king, when I'm back with his people, and I'm reminded that something bigger is going on. It's not meaningless to have a job. It's not meaningless to earn money. It's not meaningless to have resources. It's not meaningless to be gifted. It's all for a bigger purpose. And it's making his name great among all peoples. And when I'm reminded of that, that keeps me enduring. Do you see that? I would also say it's impossible to really truly anticipate his return based on Matthew 24, 11, when he says... When the nations all know and it's completed, that's when I'll come back. I would also say it's impossible to appropriately anticipate his return without remembering his mission and giving myself to it. It's why we have started two churches. It's why we have two families right now on what we would call the front line who are ministering to, proclaiming, building relationships with, the people that Facebook doesn't want us to let in our country. And you don't want in, really. I mean, I, we don't really, if we're honest. <laughs> but they're on the front lines proclaiming to the nations. And you're invested in it. If you're here, you're invested. I don't see how you appropriately anticipate his return unless you say, here am I, send me. And that may play out in a ton of different ways. But if, is your heart, is that your perspective? Is it his heart that his name be made great among all peoples? Then you're anticipating his return appropriately. We fit our daily pursuits into his greater work. It's the only way it has meaning. It's the only way it's worth anything. We, uh, we typically take up a Christmas offering. I think we've done it three or four years, and I'll speak a little bit about this in a minute. But it's been a pretty meager offering, to be honest with you. I mean, it's gotten bigger every year. I think the more we talk about it and the more we take up an offering to support those two families, the more we do it, I think our offering will grow, most likely. But it's been pretty meager based on how much we spend on ourselves. Um, you know, this kind of perspective of knowing what God wants and the mission that He's on, it changes things. Just to give you some perspective... Um, you know, I, I think it was thirty or forty dollars per household. If if every household at Cross Point were to give thirty or forty dollars in the next four months, the Munich team's trip would be paid for. Now I'm not saying that's what we should do. I'm just trying to give you some perspective. I'm just saying we give ourselves and 
Okay, 30 bucks a month. Now, I know that's a lot to some of you, and it's not a lot to some of you. But where is our perspective? Have you aligned your life, have you aligned your household's life and, and faith to line up with his target and his mission? Or do you see him as disconnected? Do you see your resources as disconnected from his work? Is his target your target? Are you anticipating the end of the age? Are you anticipating him coming in that sky? Are you at work? You know, I think one of the, one of the things that's a grace and a gift is that work gets wearisome. I mean, unless you're Superman or you don't... I think we've all been weary of work, right? I mean, your work, your job, it gets wearisome. Long nights, late nights... Don't get the pay raise, whatever. It can be discouraging. Business not going well. Work is hard. And it's a grace from him that the weariness of the work and the weariness of the capital W work gets weary. The weariness of that kind of creates a longing, doesn't it? It creates an itch. It's going to be nice when we don't have to work. (laughs) Honestly. When he comes back and establishes this new heaven and new earth, when he finishes the work. When he finishes it, man, that's going to be good. And that weariness of work is a tutor to longing for his return. Do you long for his return? If you don't, and I know this is true for me, when I'm not longing for his return, I've become really happy with my daily pursuits. I like this bank account. No, I like these clothes. I like this car. I like this way things are going for my family. No, I don't come back yet. I'm having a good time. And that's just me acting like the people of the days of Noah and the intentions of my heart are what rule the day. And I need to come back to this table and go, no, no, that's not it. You are not the end. Your daily pursuits are for His great name and your daily pursuits are And your resources are for him and his work. But I don't long for his coming when things are going well, honestly. I don't long for his coming when I'm falling in love with my daily pursuits. I'm ready for him to come back. And the older I get, the more I'm ready. Maybe it's the aches and pains, I don't know. The more more I hurt, the more I'm ready for him to come back so we don't have to hurt anymore. The more we lose people, I'm ready. But I don't want to be caught up in my daily pursuits wondering what it's all for. I want to give myself to the end and endure to the end knowing that He is going to come back. He is going to finish the work. He is going to make His name great among all peoples and I want to be a part of it. I want to give myself to it. And I pray that's where you are as well. We're about to take the supper, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. I want us to look for one more meal. We're going to look at one more meal. Revelation 19. There is some ambiguity, ambiguity, and there is some imagery here. That is just awe-inspiring in Revelation. Don't get too, uh, you know, set back by the imagery. But boy, it is beautiful imagery here. There's another banquet, another meal, another feast that's coming. And it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, listen to Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Let me just stop right there. I don't know about you, but faithfully plotting at work, faithfully minding my affairs like Second Thessalonians says, faithfully earning a living and taking care of your resources and giving them to him and his work, I don't ever hear thunder It's not impressive, right? I don't know about you, but 
I just don't feel like all the time my, my giving myself at work is really that impressive. Not making a lot of noise. There's no multitude singing and cheering me on. I don't know about you. That's what makes this so sweet for the weary worker. Are you weary? I heard what seemed to be the voice of a multitude. Like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Remember Isaiah? We waited for you this. We waited for you. And you've come. And His bride has made herself ready. How do you make yourself ready? Work. It was granted to her, the bride, the church, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. What is the clothing? Check this out. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It's the work of the saints. That's what gets us ready for his wedding. That's what gets us ready is the works and deeds of the saints being faithfully faithfully plodding along in your work and the work. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What he's saying there is, Here's the work. Here's the righteous deeds of the saints. They testify to Jesus. And that gets you ready for this supper. Let's pray. And then let's pass out the elements. Father, we're grateful for work. And we pray that we would be reminded that our work has purpose in as much as it's connected to your work of making yourself known among all peoples. I pray you'd keep us from the temptation. Keep us from the temptation of thinking that we have work for our self-esteem or for our identity or for our security, but that you've given us work so that we can be a part of your work so that you will come back. Thank you, Father, for that reminder. Thank you for this faithfulness, your faithfulness, and thank you for this meal we're about to take. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pass out the elements.